And of course, you can always call Jay. We listen to the, the shows live and recorded. It's a wonderful uh, option. Is at uh, calling 718-506-9099. And there's also another one, uh, 712-432-4217. Before I begin discussing the dairy issues, there are two things I want to take up. One, um, we might as well take care of this first, which is a couple of uh, items that just came out that I found out about, which I thought were interesting. It could be that I wrote it up myself, but when I saw it in somebody else's listing, I said, That's, that looks interesting. could be that I had it on my listing as well, but I think they were, it sounded important to me. Popsicle Company makes sugar-free ice pops. What happened is that they started, they're under the Cuff K, but they're a DE, dairy uh, equipment. But the, but the thing that's interesting is that they printed it on very tiny, tiny uh, letters, and it's almost not noticeable. So we just wanted to let you know that the Popsicle sugar-free ice pops, they're still under the Cuff K, the dairy equipment, but you might not find the symbol unless you look very, very hard. Another thing that's interesting is that uh, there's a company called Baker's Corners Corner Frosting. Baker's Corner makes um, uh, frosting for the cakes and things like that. They come in 16-ounce containers. And the interesting part about it is that the company makes some in plants that are under the OU and others in a plants that are not kosher and that use animal shortening as their ingredient, which is really, really 100% trafe. So what ha- these are kosher and non-kosher. They're both the same kind of thing, and it's just a question of which plant it's made in. Uh, what uh, was interesting, uh, especially, this is what uh, a friend of mine from Detroit sent me, uh, Roy Brody sent me, he said that, the, uh, that these are not usually sold in the same place. You come to a store, you see a kosher one, you're not a kosher one, but they happened to have seen over there in the Aldi stores that they had... Uh, kosher and non-kosher right next to each other. And again, one is not just without a hashgacha, it's literally not kosher, it's treif, made with animal shortening. So you have to be really careful today. I don't know why it's happening so much today, but it seems it's happening more, that the companies are getting uh, their their hashgacha on some of their products and not on others, some plants and not others. Maybe it's because they're using so many plants. I don't know the reason what's happening, but I see more and more and more happening like this. And therefore, the old assumption that, oh, this is a kosher product. I know it. I've been buying it for years. No, 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 no. What does it say on the product now? In this this product you have right in front of you, does it have hashgacha? We hope and pray it really was, you know, they didn't mess up the packaging. But still, does it say the hashgacha there? Okay, that's fine. Now, but it, if it doesn't say Dashkacha, don't just assume they, they forgot it. No, they didn't just forget it. And that's something that we all have to be very careful about, even people who are used to shopping in very from stores, because the, the store owner, with the pressures on he has, do not always catch these things either. I don't know what's, you know, in, where, where this was in Detroit, but, the, but I'm saying in, in our stores also, the, the from owner is not there checking everything. I remember going back, I don't want to say how many years, but I still remember it in Borough Park, a store that I used to go to all the time, and they were getting uh, in there, they got Snapple, and they had Snapple that was not kosher, and kosher, and they didn't, and they didn't even realize it themselves they were, they were selling a non-kosher one until somebody pointed it out. And what happened is they ordered whatever they ordered, but it was delivered something a little different. It looks all the same. It's the same product name, but they didn't realize you have to really check every single, every single uh, bottle. And that's, uh, I think that's something that we all really have to get into our heads. The third thing I wanted to mention came from Rabbi Brody, was uh, about the Jello products. It seems Jello makes pudding and pie fillings with an OK or an OKD, but they also make gelat- a Jello gelatin dessert. That just has a plain K. It's not recommended. They use the uh, animal derived gelatin, and that that particular uh, product is not recommended at all. The Jello gelatin dessert, but the Jello products, you know, are under the pudding, the pie filling it has the OU. I'm saying, okay, I'm sorry, and the OKD. So I thought those were interesting. And the last one, well, actually, I mentioned two more. Another one that's very important, because we always are asked questions about 7-Eleven. So here is, a, here is a product that's being sold in 7-Eleven that is mislabeled. 
seven select vanilla cream, lemon cream, and duplex cream cookies. So that's three different products. I'm sorry. So three these three cookie com- products, seven select, that are sold in the 7-Eleven, they're OKD, but they mistakenly say OK and not OKD. So that's definitely something that... Uh, People who end up in that store for whatever reason, they're getting changed maybe. <laughs> if they buy it, they should know it's really dairy. Um, another thing that came out was the mislabeled dairy dressings. It seems that these three companies mistakenly uh, do not put a D on, and they're dairy. Cisco Classic fat friend, Fat-Free Ranch Dressing, Cane's Creamy Italian Dressing, and Picnic Ranch Dressing. All three of those have an OU, but really are OU dairy. Now, I'm going to begin with the talking about Shavuos. I want to begin with something that's not dairy-related. It's got to do with Tyra, which is what Shavuos is really all about. It's not really about cheesecake, um, although that's a nice minig to have dairy on Shavuos. Really, it's about Tyra, about learning Tyra. So I'm going to share with you something that I just got today, which came from Taurus Avigdor, which I really highly recommend that people sign up for Taurus Avigdor. If you have a, a Gmail account, you have an e- you have a uh, you know e- email account. Taurus Avigdor, T O R A S A V I G D O R. Avigdor meaning Avigdor Miller, and Taurus Avigdor is are pieces that little snaps snippets of things that he said. Now this was really an appropriate thing, but first let me just tell you a quick story. This is a famous story about Mr. Irving Bunim, and if you don't know anything about him, you have to read the book A Fire in His Soul. It's worth every minute you spend doing it because you're you're reading about a time that was past. You're reading about Reverend Cutler. You're reading about saving Jews in the Holocaust. It's an extraordinary book. It's an extraordinary it was an extraordinary time, and Mr. Irving Bunim is one of the people who stepped up to the plate, and got involved and did everything he could possibly do to save Jews and to get Torah education and, and, and to save the Torah, the Torah observant people in Europe and the afterwards. Extraordinary book. Anyway, Mr. Irving Bunim was very close with Reverend Cutler. Reverend Cutler took him everywhere to raise money, and he very often Mr. Bunim had to go raise the money He's, he went traveling all over the place for what we call Vad Hatzala, the organization that was saving Jews. And there are many stories, but not for today. Mr. Buman, every time he went with Ravaran Cutler, Ravaran Cutler would always say to him at the end, he would say, Irving, make sure you go home and learn. Don't, don't waste a day. Go home and learn something. You have to make sure you learn every day. And... Uh, and, and, and then yet, Ravaran, whenever he would go someplace and they make some money for, for the, the Varat Sola, he said, Irving, you have a big chalik in Olam Haba. You got schar for Torah. You got schar for Hatzal's Nefoshis. You have, you have schar, when there's the yeshivas, you have schar for the yeshivas, for all their Torah learning. You are a chalik of it. And he, he, would say, but he would talk about how great it was what Irving Bunim was doing. But one time... Irving said to his, said Rabbi Cutler, Rabbi, why is it that you're always telling me, go learn? If you're telling me I have a chalik, and you say it's equal to the chalik of everybody who's learning Torah, I'm learning, I'm, I'm doing the same thing as they are. Why, why are you pushing me to learn? So he said, <laughs> Irving, I'm not talking about your oilam haba. Your oilam haba, you've got. I'm talking about your oilam haza. What kind of an oilam haza is it if you don't learn? That's what Rav Aaron Cutler told him. So here's what Rav Miller said. The question, because at the end of, the, of each uh, session, they would ask him questions. Question, if the Rav is always telling us that we have to subjugate ourselves to the gedolim who have the das Torah that comes from learning, why do we ourselves have to bother learning Gemara in depth and become lomdanim? Ramilla said, listen to me. In order to understand what your doctor is telling you, you have to have some minimal level of education. You don't have to be a big scholar, but you must know English. If your doctor is speaking at least a medium level cultured English, you're going to have to understand what he's saying. 
And therefore, when the Gedolim speak to us, we must be able to understand, to appreciate what they're telling us. And if we're not well-versed in Torah, the Torah learning, it becomes meaningless because we're speaking a different language. The Yamaharitz doesn't speak the same language as the Adam Gadol speaks. And that's a very important yesoid, very basic principle. If you haven't learned Masech the Gitten, you really have no idea of the necessity of a get. So you'll say that you know there's a civil divorce and there's a Jewish divorce. No, 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 that means nothing. For you, a Jewish divorce is just another thing, another ceremony. If you learn Masech the Gitten, you internalize that a civil divorce is nothing at all. And without a get, she's an Ashes Ish. She's just as married as she was when she stood under the chuppah. Even if she hasn't seen her husband in 40 years, she's still an Ashes Ish, and she's guilty of a capital crime if she goes with another man. All this Tiyamaretz is very vague. He can appreciate it to some extent, but if he hasn't learned, it's very vague. But when you learn Masech the Gitten, it hits you between the eyes. If you didn't learn Masech the Yavamas, then Chalitza, just a ceremony. It's like saying Avarachim and Shabbos morning. Sometimes you skip it. If you don't learn Masech the Yavamas, it's fake. There are a lot of people who did not learn, and it's all a vague thing to them. I remember in my old synagogue, there was a woman whose husband died. This woman was active in the sisterhood and the ladies' auxiliary, and she married her dead husband's brother. She had children from her first husband, and she married her husband's brother. And nothing, nothing. Now, in a decent organization, they would have taken her and dumped her in the street. You can't marry your dead husband's brother. If you have children from your first husband, it's like marrying your own brother. Kores. But go and tell this to the Amharits. They can hear it vaguely, yes, but she's still in the sisterhood. This means that they're all behemoths. They don't talk the language of Torah. You have to learn. Otherwise, the language is meaningless to you. You must learn, and you must learn Gemara. Not like one man said to me, we're not Gemara buffs. Gemara buffs? What? <laughs> like, you don't collect old coins, or you don't collect stamps? You also don't learn Gemara? Gemara isn't a hobby. Gemara is our life breath. We learn Gemara because that's the air we breathe. If you don't learn Gemara, what are, what are you? Are you? You're an ox. You're Mama Shabahema. That's what you are without Gemara. And don't tell me about the other things you'll learn, moral teachings, svarim. If you don't learn Gemara, you and your family are, are like behemoths. And uh, he goes on a little further. I'm skipping a line or two. If you marry the daughter of an Amaretz, you'll, it's like you're marrying a behemoth. Their wives and daughters are called the wives and daughters of behemoths. It's important to know that. Jews always knew this. You must breathe Gemara. That's our life. So how can a guttel talk to you if you're still in the stable? <laughs> you're eating oats and you're braying. A guttel will knock on the stable door and say, listen to this. So you bray and he talks. Totally different languages. I have experience in this. I've spoken to people, and they don't even begin to understand what you're talking about. It's only when you're a lamdin, at least in Gemara, that you're able to communicate with the Gadolim and appreciate and understand what they're telling you. Just want to throw in one thing that Rabbi Miller said, that they taught in Slobotka. In Slobotka they taught, it's not difficult to be a Yid. That's a schwer zu sein, a mensch. It's not hard to be a Jew. People used to say it's hard to be a Jew. No, it's not hard to be a Jew, but it's hard to be a mensch. And without Torah, you're not going to be a mensch. That's a little bit of an introduction, <laughs> a very strong introduction. If you want to get more from Rav, Rav Miller, Torah's a vigdor. I personally, I love it. And, and he puts the, the gentleman puts it out, puts it in the, some of the shuls, and uh, the material he has is very, very uh, pertinent, and he brings a lot of them right before the Yom Toivim, the Shabbos, and really appropriate material. And what can I tell you? We miss the Rav Zatzal. I want to uh, take a moment and, and speak about 
our sponsor, which is Glotmart. You know, when you think of Glotmart conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M, you should think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. Now, I only have today and tomorrow specials because obviously the rest of the, uh, the week is a little bit uh, slight. In the, you know, when we, we're a short week now. Breast of veal, $8.99 a pound. Boneless chuck pot roast, $9.99 a pound. Corned beef deckled, $7.99 a pound. And family pack minute steak, $12.99 a pound. Mahadran dairy ice cream, 56 ounce. $4.99. The Doug M solid white tuna in water is two for $3. Kemach Graham pie crust, 99 cents. And positive romaine lettuce, $3.99 at Glotmart. And whether you shop for a few items or full wagon, you can save plenty of money there. And you can also save time using the valley, using their special parking lot, which is you can get from the East 12th Street entrance. And you can have the car ready for you to load up with all the special items you purchase in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of meats is A1. With kosher super certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor, Glotmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over J-Root Radio. And now, I'm going to get into the topic of Shavuos, and if you'd like to call in, you can reach us at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or if you want to text us, it's 347-927-8398. Okay, I'd just like to go on to some of the topics that are interesting to us, uh, dealing with milchiks. So, on the way... Last night to give my shia, I'm just about going up the stairs. You know, you have to be ready for this. It's, I, can't, I, don't, I can't imagine how in the shul functions. He has this every single day. Baruch Hashem, I, I'm able to uh, be incognito a lot of the time since then people don't know who I am. They don't recognize me. Maybe they hear me on the show. And I've, and I've had the situations where people recognize my voice and say, I know that voice. So I have had that problem. But usually... I'm not, uh, I'm not accosted except in certain shuls. And this was, I was in one of them where I give my shia. And, and I'm going up the stairs. And just when I'm going to go up the stairs, all of us going up the stairs for the shia. And somebody gets me. He's on the phone. And he has to know exactly how to handle this thing with the, with the oven. So I tried to explain to him that we have a different approach and more liberal approach perhaps than some of the other people have. But the basics are always the same. And uh, I was able to answer his question. It was, the, it was a typical thing that they had abused the oven for flasheks. And of course, preparing for shuas, they wanted to make something milkiks, which is a strong minig that people have. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that minig. And the, uh, uh, and the question was, how soon could he prepare it? How to prepare it? We gave him our advice. Everybody has different minhogim on this, and I don't want to uh, confuse people right before Shavuos with the minhogim, but if you have a question on that, we'll, we'll certainly answer you, at least according to the, the shittas that we hold from. But there are like three opinions on how to uh, conduct yourself with the oven. I'd like to mention just briefly about the, the minhogim that people have. We have calls or any? Okay, we'll take a call and we'll go back. Go ahead. Hello, you're on Cautious on the Air. Can we help you? Yeah, hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, um, I was on the way to like to New Jersey. They have like this restaurant, so they have these like ices. It's called Dippin' Dots. So the Haxter is OV, but in other places they're OU, like Chavkid. So do you know if OV is good? Well, in this radio show, we don't usually answer which Hashkachas are good because... First of all, it's very difficult to answer for everybody in the world. Everyone has different ideas about how kosher, how they strict they want to be. So, you know, uh, if you were asking me and you saw me in the street or you called me on the phone, I could answer you more easily than here. But let me just tell you, the OV, if that's what it is, it's a circle V, uh, uh, and that's a hashkocha, because there's something that's like that that isn't a kosher sign at all. 
There's an OV that just means vegetarian. It doesn't mean kosher. So I can't tell you now if you're looking at the real OV or you're looking at the vegetarian sign. That I can't tell you. And even if you'd hold it up to your phone, I wouldn't be able to understand. So we don't have any communication like that. There's no Skype here. So, okay, so I so you could you could find out. But if if it is an OV, and it, there are ways to tell. It looks like a circle, or like a black circle with a V inside, and it's not uh, where you just see a V in a black background, but it's a black circle with a V inside, with a black V inside. That's the OV, and that is from the Vod of St. Louis. So it's, it's pretty much like an OU, but I don't want to go into any further on the radio, okay? Oh, so it's good? I, I try to tell you that I, it's not fair for me to answer that question okay, because sorry, I would be, yes. it'd be, I'm giving you part of it. I'm trying to give you the hint, okay? So I'm saying it's more like, the, it's pretty much like the OU, and as far as the ISIS, it would be that way, okay? Okay, thanks so much. Take good care. I, I, you know, I would never answer that question, but there's a boy answering, asking the question, and he has, to, he has needs or nosh. I mean, how can you not deal with his question? So that's why I had to go a little, uh, a little extreme, a little change of pace there. Anyway, uh, we go back to what we're talking about, which is the dairy item. Now, everybody knows this min- a minig that we have to have some kind of dairy. What's very funny about it is it isn't something you're going to find in the early Svarim about Shavuos. It really doesn't exist there. It seems there was an old minig to, to eat um, milk and honey because they have both have the symbolism for the Torah. And by the way, if you, if you take a look at the letters, the Chalav, Chalav is milk in Hebrew. The Ches is the first letter. It, in the Gematria, it's eight. And the Lamed is in Gematria, 30. And the, the last letter of Chalav is two. And if you add it up, you get 40. And there was 40 days the Torah was given to Moshe at Har Sinai. So that's a, that's a sort of symbolism. And there's a lot of other symbolisms and, and, and reasons why, why we eat, we have a minute to eat milchiks on Shavuos. And you've heard of them. There's actually a sefer that has, I think, 146 different reasons why we have milchiks on, on, on uh, Shavuos. But what's interesting is until the Ramor, which is in 1567, we don't have a written... Uh, a, a major authority saying that there's a minig to uh, eat a, a milk meal. There, there may be this minig of having some milk, real milk, by the way, not cheese. And today in Israel, they're making a very big deal about the cheese. Their companies are coming out of the wall, they're lowering the prices. It's in, in Israel, it's a big, big, big commercial um, buildup more than here than in America. In America, I'm seeing it also, all the ads from these dairy products that are coming out, but they're not, they're moderate. In Israel, it's heavy duty, and we're lowering your prices and pushing cheese. In America, we're pushing cheesecake, which is not much cheese, and you know, not, I mean, it's not really real, a real piece of cheese. Obviously, it's using a cheese in the base, but uh, it's not the same thing. Anyway, the, the source for, for these things really was for chalav, for milk. And in the, but by the time of uh, the Ramor, he mentions that there was a minig to have a separate meal. So this meal, according to the, the basic tradition we have in the Ramor, although there's discussions about what he really meant, why he said, whatever the minig was, etc., basically it was that we're going to have a milchik meal, and that way we have a zecher, we have a remembrance of the of the shtehalechem, which was brought on Shvuas. The shtehalechem, the double loaves that were brought on Shvuas, so we have two meals, a milchika meal and a fleshika meal. I just saw today, I didn't even see this before today, that in Chabad they have, this is what they, they wrote, that they have a milchika meal, and afterwards they wait an hour and have a fleshika meal. To me, I can't imagine really to have two meals. It, it, it's mind-boggling. But, uh, but that's what they do. They have a milchika meal bench, wait an hour, and then they have a, they have a fleshika meal. Uh, other people have a minig, which the minig that I, I saw when I was learning in yeshivas 
was that we had one meal, and we had, uh, in the beginning of the meal, after the hamotzi, we had milchiks. And then we washed the hands, cleaned the mouth out, and took a different bread, and then had fleshiks. It was the same meal, didn't bench in between. Others feel that that's not appropriate based upon the czar, because the czar says you shouldn't have it together, and even if it's one hour, and certainly in one meal, he, the, the Zohar felt not. Shulchan Aruch doesn't read that way, but the Zohar does, and uh, so, so the, the common uh, practice by many people is to have some Mizonos after Kiddush, and then bust it off, and then wash and have the motzi. But this way you're not using the two chalas, the way, the, the way that the Ramor discussed having the two chalas and having the two meals, and that, that, that would, the two, the two uh, meals symbolizing uh, the shtei alechem. So whichever your minig is, keep it up. I'm not changing it for you. I'm not trying to tell you the right way. There's no right way here. It's minhagim, the beautiful minhagim. It's based on the love of Klai Yisrael Hasba, Kaddish Baruch and for the Torah. And that's the, that's the main theme of Shvuas. If you daven vasikim, yeah. so it's no problem. You're doing good. Right. You can, then you can do it. <laughs> you have plenty of time. That's it. If you have plenty of time. But like, only thing is, what do you do about going to sleep? <laughs> yeah, Somewhere yeah. along the line, you got to put that one in too. Uh, yo, what we're we doing? We learn all night, 11 yes. Vasikim, yes. eating some um, uh, milchi, and go to sleep like two hours and come back. Doing, uh, that's very good. That's a very good thing. That's a, that's a good minute. They're all good minute. Yeah. <laughs> one of the questions that comes up is, of course, um, milchiga bread. Now, milchiga bread is usher all year round, but for, for the milchiga meal for shvuas, it's brought down that you could make milchiga bread. The question is, how much milchiga bread could you make? So you could make a milchiga bread to the amount that people will have, at least in that meal. There's a machlekes, whether it's only that meal or the whole day, but one whole day. But it, it certainly has to be a small quantity. I don't know anybody who does that, but this is the one time in the year that you'd be allowed to do that without any problem, um, you know, without any questions being raised. That's what's brought down in the svarim. The thing about the cheesecake is, uh, of course, an interesting question. The big, biggest question that I feel about the cheesecake is the bracha, because the, the question is, uh, is cheesecake one bracha or two brachas, and which bracha would you make? So many people say, well, I looked at the ingredients, and there's a lot of flour in there, and I learned that when something has flour, you have to make mizonos. But if you really study it, you'll see that most of the cheesecake that people are making the flour is just to hold it together. And the, the main thing is the cheese and the sugar and whatever else they're putting in there. And that, that's the real substance of the cheesecake. And there's really no bracha of mizonos on the cheesecake part. What some people have is a cheesecake with a crust. And the crust is uh, definitely going to be a mizonos. I mean, that's uh, the crusts are all mizonos. So that's a, definitely a, a, a mizonos. The question is, how much crust is there? Is it the crust being used just to hold it, or is the crust significant? Now, when you turn yourself around and eat a pie, imagine a pie. So there are some pies with a thin crust and no covering on the pie. It's not, not laced with anything. It's just uh, filling. And uh, really, uh, the, the, the pie has to be held in your hand, so the, the, the pie crust may just be like a hand holder. It's just a way to, to put it in your hand to hold the piece. They didn't, they weren't using a, when you were using a plate and a spoon or a fork, so you needed to hold it, just like people hold an ice cream cone. And uh, according to Ramosha Feinstein Zatzal, you don't make a bracha on the ice cream cone if it's not flavorful, if it's not what we call the uh, sugar cones. But the regular cones, the almost tasteless, you know, brach on it at all. It's a holder. And there's a question mark on the sandwiches, the ice cream sandwiches, whether you have to make a bracha on the mazonas in the end, or it's really only a holder. And so, so too, the question comes up about the, about the um, cheesecake. And some people, very, very little crust. It's just almost a nothing. And the question is, is it, is it tough fail? Is it forget you forget about it? Or since it's visible and it's uh, somewhat significant, you have to make a brach on it. 
this is a big question, and, and people have different cheesecakes, and maybe they're different rabbis, so I don't want to lose myself too much in it. But in general, the bracha would be shahako for the inside, unless you have a lot of flour. And the outside, it depends how much real mazonas we have there. If it's just a little bit to hold it together, so it won't plop, plop down, and you have something to hold on to, so then it's still be, it might be tough ale, and even though it's made of mizonas, it might not be a bracha at all. Sometimes also the pie uh, crusts are not very exciting, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're closer to the uh, to the sh- to the regular cone as opposed to the sugar cone. This I leave for your discussion and 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 how who made it, whether you bought it, and uh, you know, and uh, whether it was something that's bland or not bland. This is your decision on on that one. So that's one, but that's one of the questions that always came up. Some cheesecakes are laced on the top, and that might change the bracha and make it a mizonos. Depends how much there is on the top. Uh, and, and the same shiloh we just discussed now is also the same discussion we would have about a pie. A pie that a person made from scratch. She made the uh, apples, and then and she put cinnamon and sugar and whatever it is and cooked it up. That's like applesauce, and it's big pieces inside, so therefore the bracha would be her eights. So now when you put it into a pie shell, which you bought in the store for 99 cents, it was on sale in Glotmart, so you're going to buy that and put it inside. You didn't do any baking. It's just really putting it in there. Or maybe you did bake it a little bit off at the end. Maybe you put a little lacing on the top. But basically you're talking about something that has a filling that's edible and would be eaten separately. So according to Moshe Feinstein, you need a bracha on the filling. In many cases, you will need a bracha on the uh, the pie shell, especially just started lacing it on the top so that it is seriously covered. So therefore, the bracha should be two brachas. That's how Ramosha Feinstein taught. So that, that would be a tie-in over there. On the other hand, Ramosha said, if the pie filling is made from a, a, a pie filling you buy in the can, nobody eats that straight out of the, even a bowl of that stuff. Nobody has enjoyment like that. It's very sugary. It's not made the way uh, you make it in the house. And it's considered to be a way of giving flavor to the pie shell and to the lacing on top. So the, the presentation altogether is geschmack. But to eat it alone, the person wouldn't choose to take a spoon and eat that out of a can. So therefore, that, there's no bracha on that, even though it's the same kind of things. It's apples and spices and sugar, etc. But the taste is different, the quality is different, and people wouldn't sit and eat that straight. They like it together with the mizonos, and therefore, according to Ramosha, that pie filling that you took out of a can, the only one bracha on the pie, baremine mizonos. So that's an interesting side, aside over here. Uh, if you want to reach us on the phone, it's 718-683-5858, and you can text us at 347-927-8398. Uh, a little bit of complaint here on the how we're coming in. Okay, we're doing the best we can. Um, now, this, that's nothing for us. Now, uh, I'm going to go on with some of the other issues that we have here. We mentioned about the honey products that some people have honey and milk. It seems that these, um, th- this minig of the, the, of the honey is quoted in the Be'er Hei and it's something that, uh, as I say, many people have. It means that we, we consider that the giving of the Torah is durachea darche noam, the Torah is a wonderful way to live. It's, it's ways of peace. And, 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 and that's the special blessing that the Jewish people have, that we have the Torah and we have a special way to live. So that's one of the reasons why they have a minig to eat honey. The Medrash says that the Molochim asked the Kaddish Baruch Hu, why is it that Klai Yisrael merits to get the Torah, and they don't get the Torah, and the Malachim don't have it? So they, they, the, the answer was that, they, that when, they went to, uh, that when the uh, Malachim came to Avram Avinu, 
he had milk and he had meat. He had butter, which is what he served, and tongue, which is meat. When Klai Yisrael waits an entire six hours between consuming each one of them. So the halacha was the, 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 the malachim ate uh, meat and milk. I mean, if, if Avram put it out, I and mean, if they ate it, according to some, they never ate it. But okay, but if they ate it, they were eating milk. And yet the Jews wait six hours between eating meat and milk. So we see that, that we uh, are, are more medactic in this than the malachim are. That's one of the reasons for us having the milchiks. And that's about the milchik part. Now, we're going to discuss one of the famous Shilas, which is not by not. Yeah, we got a caller or two? Okay. We'll take some callers, and if we get a chance, we'll go back to some of these th- topics of Chal Yisrael and not by not, etc. Okay, go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can I help you? Yeah, I would like to, I would like to ask a, a question about the blueberries and cheesecake. We want to know about blueberries? Yeah, could you use the blueberries, or does it have to be frozen? Are you in the frozen? Is it a problem with it? We don't recommend blueberries at the present time. Is it possible that there are blueberries that are kosher? Yes. But we don't recommend it to you because we don't know exactly which ones to recommend to you. Uh, and I'm, so I, as a general rule, I would say skip the blueberries. We talk I have on, in our magazine in the back cover... They, it had blueberries on it. And there are blueberries that are, that are going to be sold that are going to be kosher. And they're, they're, but it, it depends upon the time of year, the company. And I don't want to give you, a, 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 on, the, on the show, I don't want to give out names of, of people who are doing a thorough job. No question that there are people who prepare blueberries in a certain way and have guaranteed to them to their satisfaction that they're bug-free. I'll explain to you what that means. You could clean the blueberries if you had, uh, if you don't have crowns, it makes better. The crowns are the little jagged part on the top. If you wash them well, then and you can clean them well, like, like clean grapes, you have to wash them very well, clean them well. So you could clean the outside. It's, that's doable. The problem is the maggots on the inside. Now, maggots are not in every blueberry. Maggots are in a certain number of blueberries in uh, certain times of the year, certain places where they're grown, and it has to be researched. It's hard for us to say that they're free enough for you to just go eat them. And for you to cut up 10% or 15% of what you eat into small little pieces, you're not prepared for that. And what... Uh, and how do you know what a maggot looks like? And would you be able to examine those and destroy them by, by looking in through them? Uh, that's not for people. That's not for us. We don't eat that way. But if somebody's giving hashkacha, they might go the extra mile to get a, what they call a chazaka, that there are no bugs in these blueberries. Okay? I hope I helped you. Okay. And if, but if you, find the, if you find blueberries that do have a hersher, and you're happy with that heksher, you can definitely assume that they did uh, what they considered to be acceptable. I can't answer for them. I don't know who these people are, but I'm sure that they did a lot. And, that, and, you, and, and, and look, we all eat food. We all rely on hashkachas. We all know who, in our estimation, are the very good hashkachas. And those people work very hard at what they do. And if they tell you that they have on this particular product uh, a blueberry and I would say a strawberry too but I just, you know, if they tell you a strawberry that they've that they prepared properly then yes why not I may not agree with everybody about which hashkachas are that I would rely upon that's something different but if you take a hashkacha that is re- reputable and has done serious work and they guaranteeing to you that this is bug free yeah of course you rely on them uh, it's it's that way in everything. Otherwise, nothing would be able to be eaten. Think about it. What what makes this particular uh, lettuce company acceptable? What makes that particular meat product acceptable? It's only the quality of the ashkocha. 
So yes, in, in, in principle, I agree with you 150%. In practice, I don't know if I would agree with everyone you might come up with, or maybe you wouldn't agree with everyone that I come up with. But yes, there's no question in principle, we, we agree. Okay, thank you. I hope I helped you. I, yeah. the, 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 the next step that you might want to do is look at those ashkachas that are putting them out and, and, and discuss it with somebody. You're a young fellow. Discuss it with somebody uh, whether those are hashkachas that I should rely on for this idea, for this thing. Because some, some hashkachas are very strict in, in some of their areas, and maybe they try to be thorough, but you may or may not decide that they're all thorough. I, I have a friend, Rabbi Fishbane. He puts up on his website the CRC... Uh, he has a crcweb.org. He has over there a list of hashkachas, and uh, 150 maybe. And those hashkachas that he has over there, he doesn't say they're recommended, but that's really what it is. And he has a few hundred other hashkachas that he uses for the for his CRC in Chicago. So why doesn't he put those few hundred up? Because some of them he doesn't like for everything. So some things he won't use from some of them. And there are those that he'll use everything from. So that's what I'm trying to say. When you come to something like that's delicate, like this shyly here about the bugs and the, and the, and the things, and there's a, there's a lot of uh, pressure to get these, uh, these berries. So that separates the men from the boys. And you have to have a hashkocha that you really feel is doing a maximum. Then, yes, be soimech on them because that's their business already. We're not going to go and watch over their shoulder. Okay? Okay, thank you. If you have any more further questions, call me at my office, 718-336-8544. I'd love to continue the conversation if you need to. Okay? Okay. Take care. Bye. Somebody asked about an oven on Shavuos. I don't know, do you mean leaving it on or, or if you mean... Uh, if you mean about Milchus and Fleischiks, Milchus and Fleischiks is uh, really where the topic was here, and Milchus and Fleischiks is like this. The, uh, the oven is, is, it could be, uh, there were three approaches to the oven. One approach, we have another caller in? No, okay. So one approach to the oven is that we uh, have to kosher from Milchus and Fleischiks. You wait 24 hours and you kosher, and you go through the whole cycle or whatever it is, or you turn it on high for a little bit, an hour and a half or something. You do a real koshering. The Hasidim, many of them sign on to that approach. But Moshe Feinstein had a middle approach, which was that you, uh, you wait 24 hours, and then you don't do anything. Because after 24 hours, it became Ena Ben Yomo, and it's not a problem. Of course, it has to be clean. The oven has to be clean. We're not talking now about the racks. We're just talking the oven. My Rebbe Zatzal, Rav Hashazim and Zatzal, taught a different way, which is based upon the, the basic uh, opinions that many, many, many Rabbonim had, which is that you don't have to wait 24 hours. You just have to watch out that you don't put, after a fleshika use where the pot was uncovered on the top rack, you don't put something that's milchiks uncovered also up high like that, because then there's a vapor cycle that will occur, and whatever went into the ceiling of the oven will come down with the vapor cycle. When your vapor goes up, it traps what was in, what was absorbed into the, the 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 top of the oven, and it will pull it down. That's called a vapor cycle. But it's only in that place, and it's only within 24 hours. Uh, of course, if the if the oven is dirty, that's a big problem. And of course, the Rav Zatzal was very careful that you had to have separate racks for milchiks, fleishiks, and parva. So that's a different issue, and that's the basically the the, the the oven story. Now, I see that no one's calling in, or if they are, we didn't get it because somebody's not here to help me out. So uh, we're going to go on to some of the other topics tied into milchiks, and. One of them is the question of Gvinas Akum. Gvinas Akum means a cheese that's made by non-Jews. We're not allowed to eat non-Jewish cheese. It's a Mishnah, a Gemara, a Shulchan Aruch, 
No argument, we cannot eat non-Jewish cheese. The question is, what's a non-Jewish cheese? Because is something we, that's not a hard cheese, does that qualify? That's a question of what's called hard cheese, what's not called hard cheese. But hard cheese might not be defined as cheese. I mean, soft cheese may not be defined as cheese. We call acid-set cheeses, we, we are concerned about, but, so, but some, some things which are very, uh, which were not, when we're not hard, so those are uh, maybe not subject to the Gavinus Akum Shiloh. However, there's a significant amount of halachic authorities that hold the acid-set cheeses are subject to the Gavinus Akum Halacha. The modern cheese plants often has what, uh, have what we call closed rennet systems. In, that, in a closed rennet system, the rennet enzyme used to make the, the, the cheese hard, to set the, to set the rennet into the cheese and make it hard, is done by electronic activation into the milk with throwing pipes. It's not done by people dropping pellets in like they did in the old days. In the closed rennet systems, it's going through pipes, and no human drops anything in there. It's being controlled by the machine. And the computer is, is controlling the whole thing. So there's nobody manually pouring anything in. So in the old days, we used to have a mashkiach there manually pouring things in. So now, it, we can't have Gvinas Akum, where the non-Jew did it. We need Gvinas Yisrael, that a Jew does it. So what will cause it in the closed rennet system, what will cause uh, to make it Gvinas Yisrael? So, uh, basically, the lacha follows the ramor, that cheese is kosher as long as the mashkiach is present throughout to verify that the rennet that's being used is the kosher rennet. But a number of rabbanim, boiskim, gedolim, we're going to see in a second in Shulchan Svarim, hold that the, the mashkiach must pour in the rennet in order to, to be kosher cheese. You'll see it in Shulchan Aruch, in Kuf Tesvav Siv Beis, and the shach over there is shach chof, the bir hagro, over there yud dalid, the pischei tshuva, in siv cotton uh, vav, and the aruch hashulchan in uh, kuf tesvav uh, yud tes. The closed rennet system is a problem then because you can't get the chance to drop the pellets in like they used to do. So what they have is they have to have programming and coordinating the mashkia-controlled electronic cheese-making system. <laughs> in other words, we have to have him doing the work. So there's a lot of challenge in there of how they do with the Chal of Yisrael, and it's a, a sophisticated thing. I'm looking at something that the OU put out, and they describe a little bit about how that is done, about how they do electronic rennet system with the, which satisfies the requirements of Givinas Yisrael according to the Svarim, which mentioned the Shulchan Aruch, and the Shach, and the Gro, and the Aruch HaShulchan, and the Pesachet Tshuva, etc. Now, even if a person would drink Chalab Stam, they're not allowed to, and they wouldn't drink Chalab Yisrael, they're not allowed to have Givinas Akum. And we mentioned on this show about a week or so ago that there's a, somebody contacted me that they had this shake, and the shake was... Uh, was coming with uh, whey that was produced uh, from Gvinas Akum. So I told them that that's, they read the ingredients and they said, I don't see anything wrong here. Whey is kosher. Whey is just a part of milk. Yes, it's a part of milk, but it's not, <laughs> it's not a part of milk that you get just by wanting to have it. The way you get it, the way you capture it is by making cheese and capturing the whey from the, as a byproduct of the cheese-making process. But in the cheese-making process, it becomes gminas akum and be forbidden. And therefore, the whey, if it doesn't have ashkocha, and, you know, is, is going to basically be non-kosher, treif. So when somebody sees whey in a product, don't say, oh, it's dairy. I know I can't have it after meat. I know I'm not makpanachal Israel, no problem. One second, is that whey from Gvinas Akum, in which case it's treif. And if, if it's significant in the product, the product is treif. In this particular thing with the shake, it was the first ingredient 
That's what the shake was, made with whey protein, the main part of the drink. Now, Chav uh, Israel, of course, we know, deals also with that issue about the displaced Abamasim. We discussed that recently on this show here, so I'm not going to go into that today. I'd like to uh, mention, in the last few minutes that we have, I want to mention briefly about our magazine, which just came out with the 2017 Kosher Travel Guide. It's a 114-page travel guide. It's got 355 places for you to visit in all 50 of the United States, all 50 states of the United States of America, where to sleep, where to eat, where to daven, and you're traveling out through in the summer or during the year, what things to see, what Jewish sites there are, what organizations, even the times that are davening, many of them of the cities listed them as well. So this is a, a pretty exciting little book. The book is actually 146 pages. It, it also discusses sushi safety, which I might be able to discuss in a future show. It's, uh, I, uh, it's somebody arrived out of town already. It was in, I think I'm not out of town. I think it was in Farakaway or Queens somewhere. He contacted me already because he got the magazine and he's, re, and he's reprinting the sushi safety piece because he wants to give it out to his shul. And we discussed cameras in Kashrus. California veggies and the problem that came up recently with the California veggies we mentioned here on the show, Cheesegate in Canada, and about Mexican Coke, some of those things you've heard here on the show, but I couldn't read for you 146 pages, that I guarantee, and it's a fantastic work that we put out every year, it's just growing by leaps and bounds, 355 great places. So if anybody wants to get this, I decided that this is, whether you get a subscription or you don't, this is something you should have in the house. And it's, one of, it's the most popular one we sell on Amazon. It's not on Amazon yet, but it will be up in the, right after Yom Tov because it's been sent to Amazon and they have to process it. Um, if you want to go on Amazon, you can buy last year's copy. It costs you $15. And we sell this in the stores for, eight, for $9, the new one. And as, as for J-Root listeners, I've decided that if you want to get it, where you can have for six dollars delivered to your door, six dollars instead of nine dollars. If we have to mail it, it's going to cost us about three bucks to mail, and we just want you to have it. So you can call us at 718-336-8544 to order the kosher, the 2017 Kosher Gravel Guide. That's 718-336-8544, or you can shoot us an email at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. That's Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Or call us at 718-336-8544. My suggestion is to leave your credit card information. It's a, it's, it's a closed system. I'm only the one who hears it. Um, my secretary doesn't even listen to it. I listen to it. So you're gonna. So I'll be able to record the uh, your credit card information, and then we'll send it out and your and your address. We'll send it out right to you um, if you want it. It's six dollars, and you could uh, if you want to send a check, six dollars to Kashrus at P O B two O four Brooklyn, New York one one two oh four. But it's going to take longer to get to you. And we want to mail it right after Yom Tov to you. So give us a ring at 718-336-8544 to order your copy of the 2017 Kosher Travel Guide. If you don't get it there, you can pick it up in bookstores and in a few of the supermarkets and a number of states that we've, we've got it into uh, stores there as well. So that, that concludes my part about this. And I'm going to take uh, a couple of the... Um, I'm going to take a couple of the uh, people who sent in on the uh, on the on the, the texting line. What if you don't buy farm-raised salmon and you want to buy wild salmon? Can you know if there's worms before you cook it? I'm going to tell you the reality, and I'll tell you if you have the time, I'll send you to an address if you can get in there. You can probably go to many places, by the way. There, uh, the the worms in the salmon are very hard to get out. 
I saw a demonstration. We took a piece that's about three inches square. That's a piece of salmon, three inches square. It's a portion. That's a portion of salmon. And it comes in a package, and it comes in a plastic. And on the, on the plastic, in the, sorry, in the plastic, under the plastic, on top of the salmon, I saw a worm. I saw a worm on top of the salmon. It crawled out. Inside that salmon, that three inches square, there could be as many as 50 to 75 worms. It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound like I'm telling the truth. But I know it because I saw the worms. I, I know and how they could fit there. The salmon has layers, right? You know how you eat the salmon? Okay, we'll get the call in a minute. The salmon has layers. And in between the layers are the worms. Now, the worms are extremely thin but very long. They're over an inch long. They're over an inch long, maybe an inch and a half long. But they're so thin, they're translucent, you can't even, you can see right through them. And you see a head, you see the body, everything, but, but it's almost translucent. And, you, and they're very thin. And so when they're, they're pressed in between there, you'll never see anything sticking out. So no, you can't check them. It would take you hours. And what you'd have to do is use not a light box. You'd have to use the, the blue lights. You'd have to do with extra, and the, the, the ultraviolet lights. That's what we use to see them. And believe me, there's tons of them in the salmon. No, if you want to buy, uh, buy wild salmon, you have to be that you accept that these worms are not a problem. Because if you hold they are a problem, you can't eat that salmon. Impossible. We got a caller. Okay, go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can I help you? Oh, we lost him. Okay. Didn't last day. Okay. Um, I can't see down below here. So we're going to have to go back to the question. Let's, let's, since we're talking about the fish, let's just say another word about fish. The, the, the problem of, of fish is that, as I mentioned here on the show not too long ago, maybe even last week, fish have worms that everybody admitted you can't eat. Because if you find fish worms in the stomach, Nobody permits those. And worms that are, that are visible, and their size is large enough when they're in the stomach, if they permeate into the body, you can't eat them. And it's quite well known that that's what is being done. Now, the, the anasakis that this gentleman's or lady is referring to is, is, not, um, is a different issue because anasakis, there's a question that people are raising about whether it was visible when it was in the stomach because it was inside something else. But if you have a regular worm that's loose over there, there are plenty of parasites in fish. So definitely some worms and fish are 100% trife, and nobody could eat them. So this is a topic you could discuss with the person who handles fish and who gives a shkocha on the fish that you're eating, whether it's in a restaurant or it's a fish store. You should really be talking these things out with them and discuss some of the topics that I've raised here. Okay, we have a caller. Go ahead. You're on Cautious on the Air. Go ahead, please. Yes, hello. Um, I have a question about fish, talking about fish. If I have a milk of a toaster oven and I cook fish in it, am I allowed to eat it at the Yunt of Suza before the Fleshik? You're, you're allowed to eat what? I didn't hear what you're saying. You're allowed to eat what? If I cook fish in a milk of a it's a big fish, the Lechika oh. toaster oven. Right. Am I allowed to eat that fish at a, at a place of Yansafuda before the Fleischik's, before the meat or? Right. You, you, okay. But with, with, you want to use the Fleischik equipment? You want to use Fleischik plates and Fleischik uh, silverware? It's a, it's going to be Fleischik Suda, let's say, but the fish was baked. And the milk of the toaster oven. I know, but I'm asking you, how are you serving it? You're going to serve it on flesher plates and flesher um, silverware? Plastic, plastic. Okay. So th the thing is like this. The best would be that you covered over the fish. And you on the bottom, you didn't have it touch directly. Uh, best of, if, if, well, I mean, it's in a little tray, right? So, in, and there's little tin, if you have tin foil there, and it didn't touch the tray. The trouble is, tin foil 
sometimes breaks. So if you put a couple of layers of tin foil and you're guaranteeing that there was no leakage from the, the little pan on the bottom, which is milchix, into this, and then if there's no leakage, if there's no, nothing seeps into your fish from the bottom, and of course if you cover it on the top, it's better, but if you don't cover it on the top, and if, you, if, your, if your toaster oven is not, uh, is not dirty, so then there wouldn't be a problem. But it's not a, not a good process, not a good procedure, because the toaster oven is so small, most of them anyway, very small, and you're really exposed to little pieces of things here and there. It's, it's kind of hard to keep it really clean. So even if it was done, that, it, 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 if there's nothing there that's really dirty inside, then the, the only problem was the kalim. But if you're doing it on tinfoil, a double layer or two or three of, of tinfoil, then there isn't anything being using the milchika kalim, and the place that it's found is just hot. It's not, you're not cooking on the top where the broiler part is. You're not cooking it on the, uh, on the toaster oven. You're cooking it in the toaster oven. So technically, there wouldn't be a problem. But I would, okay. as, long as, you're, as long as you're using par, uh, throwaway kind of things, right? Okay? Thank you very much. Thank yes, you very much for listening. Anybody wants to reach us, 718-336-8544. Until next week, for a wonderful Yom Tov, and we'll see, see you, speak to you again next week. This is Rabbi Wickler, Kashus Magazine, thanking you for listening.